Hey everybody, welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me is always Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I'm sure is like me and is just ready for the football season to get started. How you doing today? I'm good. Uh, a word to the wise to anybody that plays recreational sports, make sure you drink your water and stretch. Because I caught a cramp yesterday in my calf. This thing took me out. Oh, yeah, no, I can only imagine. I know that had to be terrible because I watched – yesterday I was actually at a girls' basketball shootout, and this, like – it was, like, three games of pop, and then it was from, like, 9 to almost 4 o'clock. So I was just – I'm old because I was like, that looks exhausting. But we got a cool show for you guys today. Just a heads up, we're going to mention KD a lot. So – be prepared for that. But with regards to the NFL, we are going to make our guess as to what team Tom Brady was talking about on the shop as far as a team that passed on him late in show. When we talk to NBA, of course, we're going to keep talking about the conference finals as well as creating a championship-winning starting five from the Team USA commits. And we're going to close out the show with my Hell in a Cell recap. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat the xreport.net for exclusive sports content by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast, our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So let's start things off on a pretty chill note. Matthew Stafford and the Rams, as we all know, earlier this offseason, he was traded to the Rams in favor of a first-round pick for next year and Jared Goff. And so far, Sean McVay, his head coach, has had high hopes for him. He said things like, he's even better than advertised. It makes sense to him, the guy's ability to see the game, his ability to draw on his experiences, the feel that he has. It's pretty special and unique. Ethan expectations going into 2021 does he make the rams a super bowl contender how far do you see matthew stafford going this year i could definitely potentially see them being a super bowl contender because they offensively they were they had a lot of good pieces on offense last season they have robert woods they have cooper cup um they have a good staple of wide receivers and they had cam Akers, the rick um the returning ricky who showed promise last year. And I think that you had a guy like Stafford that could be a really potent offense. And they also already, in my personal opinion, had one of the top five best defenses in the NFL going into this upcoming season. So if you pair those to a good offense with a good defense, I could definitely see them being in the mix for a Super Bowl. Um, as far as how far I can see them going, I can see them I can see them making it to a um to the NFC Championship, honestly, because I think Seattle, like they're in a tough division. They're in a division with Seattle, San Francisco, and Arizona. All of those teams in that division are on an upward tick, but I can see them potentially being one of those teams that makes it in as a wild card and shocks a lot of people and make a run to like a conference a conference championship game. Yeah, I, I agree with him with the conversation of him being a making the rim to a quarter, I mean, a two ball contending team. Reason being, in my opinion, he's a big upgrade over what they got in Jared Goff. He's more aggressive, he has better decision making. I think he's more so of a leader than what they got in Jared Goff. And plus, he's a proven veteran. And the only problem was with the team that surrounded him. It was hard to really have success. And I think that with the Rams, you get arguably the most complete team in the NFC, not to mention the whole NFL. And I think that he can really 
make them a team that can really go far. I think that if you ask me, I think they're the most complete team in the NFC West. While, of course, we know Russell Wilson is the best quarterback in that division, I don't really think there's an argument there. Their defense sometimes has some questions, especially their secondary with all the losses that they have. The injuries going on with the 49ers, plus who their starting quarterback is going to be. And then with the Cardinals, it's like we know that they're explosive offensively, but yet again, their defense comes into question. Whereas with the Rams, they're a team that if Matthew Stafford can really fit the bill, I think that they are going to be a tough team to beat. And if you ask me, I would be shocked if they did not find a way to win the division at least. And potentially, who knows, maybe even go for that first seed, um, potentially getting a first round bye. But we'll see how that goes. But keeping things on the West Coast, uh, Raiders defensive end Carl Nassif came out as gay earlier this week and was met with a lot of support from fellow fans and um, NFL players. In fact, just two days after um, he decided to come out, he had the highest selling jersey in all of the NFL. While it is Pride Month and I know here at the Export, we have no issue with people of the LGBTQ plus community. God bless. But the real question in my mind is, do you think that the NFL is really ready to accept a gay player? Um, I, I'm at the point now where I think, I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily say I don't think that they're ready, but I think that they have no choice to be because the... The way that things are looked at nowadays as far as the LGBTQ plus community, it's a very open arm policy. Like the world is open to that community now. In times past, it was very closed off. Like people were afraid to come out as homosexual and lesbian and things of that nature. Now people are very willing and open to coming out and explaining their um, sexuality. So I think that because of the structure of the NFL and the people that are in leadership roles, I think they won't be because a lot of those guys are older guys and they just see the world through this old, outdated, antiquated viewpoint. But I think because of the way that the world is um, pushing things towards a different light, I think they have no choice but to be um, open to an openly gay player. Yeah, and I think that like like you mentioned, in the outside world, somebody coming out as gay is kind of like commonplace. It's not really seen as a big deal. But I was having a conversation with somebody about this uh, earlier this week. In the NFL, it's such a quote-unquote macho man sport. It's a man's game. And so I think that, of course, I'm sure that there are more gay players who have you know played in the NFL besides Michael Sam, who was, what, 2014, and then Carl Nassib. But, I mean, because of the, the stigma that comes – with being a homosexual, especially playing football, it's like you're seen as not necessarily a man. And like you mentioned, I think that with older people, um, especially owners who've been around for 40 plus years, I'm sure they may not really understand it. They may not, you know, be comfortable with it. But I mean, what can you do? You know, I think that especially in this day and age of social media, like let's say the Raiders decide to cut Carl Nassib as soon as he made that announcement, they would get buried. They would get ostracized from every walk of life. And I think that had this case in point with Michael Sam, when the Rams cut him, they can say, oh, well, he just didn't produce, even though he didn't play bad in the preseason. But it's like it's not as big of a deal. So I think that it's something that the NFL necessarily, I don't really think they have a choice in the matter. But 
I don't I don't want to say that the NFL is like beyond cancel culture or whatever because I feel like almost anything if enough people are upset could get canceled or people be over it or whatever but I think that the NFL is kind of just like hey it is what it is who cares but I think it really just depends on the team. I think it's more of a team by team basis. If the, your front office or the people you deal with aren't comfortable with it, I think that is more telling than overall the NFL. But speaking of things that have been around forever, let's talk the Pittsburgh Steelers and their decision to release two-time All-Pro guard David DeCastro. Now, David DeCastro has been battling lingering injuries over the last couple of years and has even mentioned that he may be contemplating retirement. And so, by that logic, it didn't seem like that big of a deal for the Steelers to release him and then shortly thereafter sign fellow guard Trey Turner. Do you feel like the Steelers made the right move releasing David DeCastro, or do you think it's going to be a move that comes back to bite them? I think they made the right decision. When you're dealing with a player that's dealing with lingering injuries and things of that nature, and like you just stated, he comes to play retiring. So... Why not go ahead and make that decision now and re- release him? I know it's probably, as far as a Steelers fan standpoint, it's probably a blow because he he played for the team for some years. But go ahead and release him and replace him. And Trey Turner isn't a bad option as a replacement, if I'm not mistaken. He was a two, he's been a two-time Pro Bowler in his career. So you're getting a guy who's been relatively healthy and can be a productive player for you in a position that might have been. A guy that retired in the season, maybe in the, at the end of the season, or depending on how bad the injuries got during the season. Yeah, I think that in from looking at it from a logistics standpoint, it makes sense. I just think that even though Trey Turner is not a bad player, he's not to the caliber of where he was when he was with the Panthers. But I mean, he's still a solid player. I think. I think the reason why people are just so upset is because the Steelers have already lost so much among their offensive line. And so losing arguably their best offensive lineman too, even though there's other extenuating circumstances, I just think it leaves a lot of reasons for doubt. Like, not only that, but your quarterback is closer to 40. This is quite possibly his last year. You got a brand-new running back. Wouldn't you want to put together the best offensive line you could around them? And as of right now, it's a lot of holes and it's a lot of unanswered questions, which I'm sure is kind of more so the meaning behind the frustration with David DeCastro's release. Because like I said, he's one of the top guards in the league, and you can make an argument that their best offensive lineman. But from their standpoint, I get it. But I just feel like I know that they're kind of strapped for cash right now. But if I was them, I'd try to make moves to try to fortify that offensive line because right now it's so much turnover and it's hard to really have faith in that, especially going into what looks to be like a really tough season. But all right, so for a team that needs a guard, let's say David DeCastro doesn't retire. Who could you see making that move to sign him? Especially if he signs on for a veteran minimum type of deal, I could very well see him signing on to a team like the Chiefs, simply because we saw last season that yes, last season that they had a lot of good players on their offensive of the line, but they got hurt. And if you can get a guy that could be that's a former Pro Bowl, a former All Pro type of player, he might not be the same player that he was in his previous years. But if you bring him in as a rotationary piece, that could provide a lot of 
insurance and debt that you can need. Like, let's say your actual starter gets hurt, and then you bring him in, and it's like you want to skip a beat, especially with the team like the Chiefs that need to protect Patrick Mahomes because he's their most critical piece. For me, it's a toss-up between two teams, one being Seattle and two being Miami. Uh, Seattle, for the obvious reason, their offensive line has been bad for a very long time. And even though they had a, they saw a really nice rookie year out of um, Damian Lewis, who they drafted out of LSU in the third round last year, what better way to have a player like David DeCastro, who's had so much success in the league, kind of be that mentor for him and then line up potentially at that left guard spot and really just kind of help him progress his game, even if it is just a one-year deal. I mean, one – it's an upgrade over what you already have at guard. And two, it just makes your team overall better. And then I say the Dolphins because, let's be honest, you want to put Tua in the best situation you can for him to be successful. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to make sure he has a good offensive line. The Dolphins' off- offensive line has had some struggles, though I know they've made some uh, moves. I want to say they signed DJ Fluker, who plays guard as well. But once again, David DeCastro is an upgrade over what they already have. And I just think that for your young quarter, Quarterback, you want to do everything you can to help them succeed. But speaking of young quarterbacks, let's talk Baker Mayfield, who is agent, sounded pretty confident that a contract extension is going to be done. In fact, he said he thinks it'll be sometime this summer. Ethan, in your opinion, should the Browns be in a rush to sign Baker or wait until after next year to see what he's really worth? Honestly, I'm going to say I think they should rush and sign him because he showed – I know last season, he, um, at the beginning of the season, he had a very shaky start. But towards the second half of the season and even leading into the playoffs, he showed that he could be a, um, he could lead them to a bunch of playoff wins. Like, he almost led them to a win against the Chiefs when, um, Patrick Mahomes got hurt. And that's the, that's the type of thing that you need. Especially now in today's NFL, like if you have a trustworthy quarterback, I think it's better to sign him as soon as you can rather than later because you look at, like we talked about it numerous, like you look at the situation with where the Cowboys signed that press guy, and now every quarterback on the market that's due for an extension, they're looking at what he made and like, hey, I can make that or more. So I think if you go ahead and lock him up now, you might avoid the chance of another quarterback having a great year and then getting a heavy price tag and then back up saying, like, well, I was better. I had a better year than we did, and he got this much. So I'm asking for more than that. So I think they should go ahead and lock him in. I'm going to say no, mainly because I don't really consider Baker trustworthy. Like, to start off the year last year, it was rough. Then that Bengals game happened. I think that's when he threw five touchdowns. He kind of turned the corner, and the team just overall started to play better. But, I mean, that's the thing about Baker is he relies on his other weapons. He has arguably the best one-two punch at running back, which really helps him out. But we've seen in situations when that run game is not going, neither is Baker. And I think that he's benefiting from the roster that the that the Browns have around him. But – Let's say Nick Chubb gets hurt, right? And you just pay Baker all this money, and Baker has a terrible year. He can't get anything going, and then you're looking foolish. You're regretting it. 
And I think that the NFL is set up in a way where teams are so protected to where, well, he's a first-round pick, so you can use the fifth-year option. You get another year to really test out what he can be, not to mention the franchise tag, which you could also use. And I think that when looking at Baker, you also have to factor in the other players who could potentially need a contract extension in the future. For example, Nick Chubb's got a contract coming up, Denzel Ward as well, two young players who also have a big impact. So if I'm the Browns, I know that his rookie year was solid, but you it's solid from a rookie's perspective. If a veteran quarterback put up the same numbers he put up, you'd be like, eh, it was a, just an odd year. Then going to his sophomore year, it was a major slump. Third year, hit or miss. I mean, started off bad, got better in the middle, but then had games where he didn't look good. Case in point, the Raiders game. Or you can mention the Jets game. That was another tough one. So... It, it's frustrating with Baker because it's like he's such a mixed bag. And especially with how much money quarterbacks are getting now and then how many other people that have contracts coming up in Cleveland, I would he'd have to show me something. If we get to the co- playoffs again this year, I'd give Baker – I'd pay Baker. But for right now, he's got to put in another year of just consistently doing his job. And right now, I don't know if he's done that on a consistent basis enough for me to warrant paying him before seeing the last bit of his rookie contract. That's just me. But speaking of somebody who we all know is consistently good, Tom Brady, who, as we all know, was one of the most high-profile free agents in all of sports last year after finally leaving the Patriots after 20 years. However, when he was on HBO show The Shop, uh, he mentioned one team in particular that really rubbed him the wrong way. He said one of those teams, they weren't interested at the very end. I was thinking, you're sticking with that motherfucker? So let's play a game of... Who do you think he was talking about? Because apparently it wasn't the Bears. That was like one team that like just got shut down immediately. But who do you think he was talking about? And do you think that they regret not signing Tom Brady? Okay. Um, since you shut down the Bears, I'm honestly... I mean, to be... I'm sorry, before you go. I mean, even though they say it's not the Bears, unless it's from the horse's mouth. Yeah. For me, I think it is. Like, I think that they told him, like, they were going to, at the time, they were going to commit to Mitchell Trubisky. And, like, because the thing of it is, is out of all the other teams that he was looking to go to outside of, like, Tampa Bay, every other team had a decent quarterback. Like, you can't say, you can't say, like, it was the Titans because the Titans had Ryan Tannehill. And you saw the things that Ryan Tannehill did this this past season. And he got Um, paid fairly early in the free agent process. Yeah, so it's like, I think it's the Bears, personally. I think it's the 49ers. And the reason I say 49ers is, one, Bay, yeah, ret- that returning to the Bay Area, loving Cali weather, because, I mean, he grew up in California, too. Everybody knows growing up his favorite team was the 49ers. And let's be honest, Jimmy G in that situation, yes, they're coming off a Super Bowl year, but we know how the Super Bowl turned out. And so I'm sure it was multiple conversations between either Tom Brady's agent and or Tom Brady in the front office. Like, this guy choked in the Super Bowl. I have six. How is this even a conversation? And then I feel like it may have been another thing where he may have felt slighted again by Jimmy G's presence. He's not being able to play or he feels like another team is preferring him to Jimmy Garoppolo. So I think... If I had to bet, I'd probably say the 49ers. And to answer the second part of the question, 
I do think they regret it. Not just, yes, they're still a team who, when they're healthy, we know that, well, I'll take that back. When they were healthy that one year, they had a great year. But leading up to it, it's been rough. And I think that the Super Bowl window for the 49ers, I don't think it's as big as people like to think it is. And I think that you can, even taking just one year out into account, with Tom Brady, you know you're always in it. You know you're always going to be in the conversation. You know you always have a chance. The same can be said for Jimmy Garoppolo. And hell, we don't even know if the same could be said for Trey Lance either. He just got in the league. We don't even know if he's going to start immediately. So I think that the 49ers regret it, especially coming off of 2019, the year when they made to the Super Bowl and lost. Just imagine what they could have done with Tom Brady there and him healthy with that team. What about you? Do you think the Bears regret not signing uh, Tom Brady if it was the Bears? I think, I honestly do. I think that if you would, they don't have as great as a receiving core as Temple, but I think that they have a good enough group of receivers that Tom Brady could have made it work. And, I mean, we both know if you pair Tom Brady with a great defense, that's a winning formula. So I definitely think they regret it. Um, I think maybe now it might not be as much because I feel like they they finally drafted their quarterback of the future in Justin Fields. Yes, we know that he hasn't started yet, and we it's being said that he won't be the starter. It's going to be Andy Dalton. But I think that they finally, I'm of opinion that they finally landed the right guy at quarterback. So I don't think that they might regret it as much. But at least for this past season, I think they'll regret it. Fair enough. All right, so let's play a game of believable or buffoonery, keeping with the trend of Tom Brady. So he was asked about his feelings on being the GOAT, and Tom Brady says he doesn't think about it. It's not about proving it to others what you could do. It's more about proving it to yourself. Believable or buffoonery, Tom Brady does not consider himself or think that he is the GOAT. I call mad buffoonery on that one. Oh, yeah, I do for sure. Like, Tom Brady is a... He's one of the most competitive guys in sports, and it's like being completely honest. When you're a man that's won seven Super Bowls, you've won more Super Bowls than every franchise in the NFL. You gotta call yourself a goat. Yeah. Like you, you, you can play humble in front of the camera, but like you can probably like in practice, you probably can tell people like I'm the best to ever do this. And like, yeah, I mean, who's gonna argue with you? You really can't argue with that. Yeah, I think I call buffoonery as well. I mean, just let's be honest. We all know Tom Brady is cocky. We we've seen videos of him talking stuff to people. Like, uh, I you would be out your mind to really think one of those things like I'm the goat. Like you're nothing. Like get out of here. Like Tom, it's cute and all, but you he's trying to be like just it be like MJ. MJ thinks he's the goat. Just be like Tom Brady. You got more. You got more ring. One more ring than MJ. So hey, enjoy yourself. Cause I mean, hell, I'm the biggest Peyton Manning fan. I know. And I will argue Peyton Manning down for the smartest quarterback of all time. But I can't call him the GOAT, even though I want to, just because that's Tom Brady. All right, speaking of another player who, let's be honest, had he played longer, he could have made the GOAT argument. Calvin Johnson, who talked about his time in Detroit and said, we asked... We asked the Lions to release me or at least let me go to another team, and they wouldn't. It sucked that they didn't let me go, but they let Matthew Stafford go. Believable or buffoonery, the Lions should have moved on 
from Megatron. It's believable because, like, once they realized that they weren't going to win anything, the least, the least they could have did was send him to a team to let him get a championship because we know that that's typically what franchises do once they get a, a Hall of Fame player that's heralded and a fan favorite. Like, if they see that their window is not open to win the shield, towards the latter parts of their career, it's like, okay, well, at least we can do to reward him is like putting him on a contending team. So I, I definitely think it's believable. I think it's believable, too. And that's something else about Calvin Johnson was he wasn't even necessarily old. Didn't he retire, like, 30 or 31? Yeah. Like, young. yeah, he was once young. So I agree that it is believable they, they should have moved him. But I understand why Detroit didn't, if not for any other reason, but you have a quarterback there. You feel like he's your quarterback of the future. You want to keep put, keep the best weapon around him that you can. But you're not winning anything. Like, he may put up gaudy numbers, but still, you're not winning anything in the process. So I think it's believable that they should have moved on from him. All right, let's talk Lamar Jackson, who uh, was recently asked about a potential contract extension, which is on the horizon. To which he said, I ain't going to lie to you. I'm not really focused on that right now. I'm focused on getting me a Super Bowl. Believable or buffoonery, Lamar Jackson is not worried about a contract extension. I'm a Ravens fan. I'll be the first one to tell you. That's buffoonery. I think it's believable simply because I feel like Lamar is focusing on proving that a lot of people disagree with that in the sense of I'm not saying that his only focus is getting money but I think that once you get a contract in place it makes things a lot easier because case in point you could Earl Thomas Earl Thomas clamored for a contract all offseason did not get it I think it was what third game of the season breaks his leg seriously destroys his the money he could have made and so I think when you don't have that security or that contract it's like you feel a bit more expendable, and I think it makes you just overall more conscious, more uh, cautious because it's like if you make one bad move, the money that you could potentially be making is over. And while I do agree with Lamar Jackson wants to be able to submit his legacy and wants to be able to prove doubters wrong, I think that is something really important for him. But I think once you get that contract, it takes a weight off of your shoulders because at that point you really don't have – at least you may have to prove something to doubters or whatever, but you don't have to prove it to your team. Because you know that they trust you, you know that they believe in you. And I feel like once that gets taken care of, I think that that will really allow him to open up to other things. Do I think he's wants to win a Super Bowl? Yes, absolutely. But I also think that the contract is something on his mind. But talking about contracts, let's talk about a legend who does not have one right now. But if you ask former Cardinals cornerback Patrick Peterson, it's due to come. When asked about Larry Fitzgerald, he said, if he ain't retired yet, he ain't going to retire. Believable or buffoonery, Larry Fitzgerald is going to come back in 2021. That's believable. I mean, he's still a very he's not as he's not a true number one wide receiver like he's been in the past. But 
see him coming back to, even if it's not to the Cardinals, I just think that there are too many teams out there who could use a reliable third or fourth receiver. Like, case in point, Minnesota. He would be great in Minnesota. That's where he grew up. He already has connections there with Patrick Peterson. It would be really fun to see him coaching up Justin Jefferson and playing with Adam Thielen. I'm sorry, what were you saying? I was saying he was the ball boy there. Right, exactly. So he has a relationship with Minnesota. His father worked as their reporter, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that would be a fit. But that's just one team that if you make an argument for, he could really work there. Like, what quarterback would not want a receiver who catches everything, who is a veteran route runner, who does everything right, never going to cause you any trouble? Like, Larry Fitzgerald low-key seems like the perfect teammate. So I think it is believable. And plus, I trust Patrick Peterson. He played with him for over, over a decade. I'm sure that if he's saying that he's not retiring, I don't think he's going to retire yet. All right, last one. We t- I told you ahead of time we were going to talk about KD quite a bit. This is the first sighting um, on a recent episode of the Out of Office podcast. He said, I can play football. I can be a wideout at least. There's wideouts that's six foot, 170 pounds. I would just run all go routes. Believable or buffoonery? Kevin Durant would make it in the NFL as a wide receiver. No, I think that's buffoonery simply because, like, the reality, he said this guy in the NFL is 6 foot 170 pounds. Being truthfully honest, there's only two that are um, Deshaun Jackson and Devontae Smith. Yeah, and Devontae Smith. Like, it's not that many frail guys that receive. I think that if you, I think the only way KD can make a roster is he will be a specialist. He will be the type of guy that you will put in for like a hell Mary situation because he's seven foot tall. He has an enormous wingspan, and you throw in his direction. We don't even know what his hands are like. Right. You throw it in he has the greatest chance of catching it because regardless of what size corner you put on him, he's going to naturally be taller than any of them. Yeah. So I don't either just because I know you and I talk, discuss like debates about if LeBron would make it or if Russell Westbrook would make it my biggest argument for Kevin Durant is we know he is a tremendous basketball player but it's a big difference between being a great basketball player and being a great football player because football is physical and I just, you may tower over these DBs, but just imagine seeing him get hit by J- Jamal Adams. Seeing him to get try to block a TJ Watt or Miles Garrett. I would play, I would pay good money to see him try to block one of these hard hitters and see how that turns out. I don't think that, I just don't think he has the physicality required to be able to take those hits after hits after hits. Like I said, yes, you may tower over these guys in terms of height. But football is a different monster because football isn't just you catch the ball and that's it. Like, receivers get wrecked. Receivers are going to get hit, and I could see that happening on a constant basis. And I don't think he's necessarily ready for that life. But all right, let's talk NBA. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways from this past week of action? Top three takeaways are I, I think it's a for the Atlanta Hawks. I think that without Paul, I think – I would agree with that. All right, let's list our Mamba players of the week. Excuse me, starting out of the East. 
The East was kind of tough for me, but I'm going to end up going with Giannis. Just because, I mean, even though Trey in game one put up, what, 48 points, like it, but then he only, he didn't put up that many the next game. Trey Young is kind of inconsistent, whereas Giannis is, we know what Giannis is, and Giannis is going to score. He may not be the best free throw shooter. He may not have the most range or a wide array of skill sets, but he gets the job done, and I think that that's what a Mamba you have to look at it for is no matter what, they're going to get the job done. So I'm going to go with Giannis for my Eastern Mamba. Yeah, I got to go with Giannis because the reality is, like you said, he's not as skilled as a lot of players in the NBA, but he's always in attack mode. He's always looking to make, to punt on it. Like, and he has some moves, like that spin move that he did to that layup. That was, like, being completely honest, that's one of the most impressive moves I've seen out of Giannis in his whole career. So, I think that he's just a guy that's going to put his foot on their necks and just go ahead and take them out. Yep. All right, so Western Conference Mamba of the Week. This one was a little bit tougher. I ended up going with DeAndre Ayton, mainly because just his ability to step up, particularly in Game 3 last night. I mean, it was one of the lowest scoring games that we've seen in the playoffs, but no matter what, DeAndre really got the job done. 19 points, 22 boards. I mean, just really looking like a great third piece, a great member of that trifecta of CP3 and Devin Booker. I mean, even in games, uh, even in the past game before when they lost, I mean, and Devin Booker and CP3 really couldn't get their shots going. I mean, DeAndre still had a really solid game, and I think that he just plays his role well. So he's going to be my Mamba of the week. Yeah, I'm also going with DeAndre because it's like you said, like he stepped into their role. I know initially when the Suns drafted him and they were looking at him as being the second option, things were looking shaky. But I think they he's fit into his role as the third option. They don't really ask him to do much. They kind of ask him to just defend, get rebounds, and finish, and occasionally hit a pick and pop mid-range jumper. Like the off the offense isn't set focused on him. And I think that if you add Chris Paul to that equation, Chris Paul has been coaching him up and doing typical Chris Paul things, he's rounded out in the form. So I gotta go with All right, so let's get to the news part of it. Um so the um USA men and women's basketball teams have been announced. I'm not gonna lie to you, I don't care about the Olympics, but Let's give some props to the people who are going to be participating. Starting with the women, it's going to be Skylar Diggins-Smith, Sue Bird, Tina Charles, Nafisa Collier, Sylvia Fowles, Ariel Atkins, Brianna Stewart, Chelsea Gray, Brittany Griner, Jewel Lloyd, Diana Taurasi, and Aja Wilson. We don't really have to spend too much time on this, but I would like to say that NECA got robbed, and I will fly that flag all day long. Yeah, I was just about to say they, they did and I know that she's hurt right now, but no. She was going to be healthy by the time of the Olympics. And if you ask me, I'd take her over most of the cats on this list. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, just have to do my little rant. All right, so the men's USA team is going to be Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, Zach Levine, Kevin Love, Bam Adebayo, Draymond Green, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Jeremy Grant. So for this, what we're going to do is we're going to come up with a championship winning starting five out of these players. I just sent it to you so you can have a like be able to look at it. But do you want me to go first or do you have one already? 
All right, go ahead. literally have the same exact starting five. The um, the toughest one was between Devin Booker and Bradley Beal at the two, but I'm going to go Bradley Beal. If not for another reason, but I just want Bradley Beal to win something in his life. So that was easy. But speaking of other things that have been announced, the NBA draft lottery took place, and here are the results. First overall pick, for the first time, Detroit seems to get something good. They got the first overall pick. Rockets got second. Cavs got third. Fourth went to Raptors. Fifth, Magic. Sixth, Thunder. Seven, Warriors. Eight, Magic. Nine, Kings. Ten, Pelicans. Eleven, Hornets. Twelve, Spurs. Thirteen, Pacers. And fourteen, Warriors. So, let's say our top three winners and losers after the draft lottery. Do you want me to go first or you want to go? Uh, obviously, Detroit. They even though this pick won't, it won't put them in the playoffs. But it's a it's a building block that you can use, like potentially get a star player. I think that I think in my personal opinion, the obvious choice is drafting on K Cunningham out of Oklahoma State. He, in my opinion, he's the best player. But you can take that and you can build upon it. You have. Jeremy Grant shows success, so you can potentially have a one-two punch, and you can go from there. Um, I'm actually going to say the Toronto the Raptors are my second choice, simply because they're the fourth overall pick. Like once this lottery started, they were showing they're showing them projected to be the eighth pick in the lottery, and the fact that they got fourth, which means that they could go a lot of ways. Like it's a lot of good guards in this draft, and I know that. Kyle Lowry is long in the tooth, and it's been rumored that he might be out coming this offseason. So you could potentially draft a replacement for Kyle Lowry. You could draft the Jalen Suggs. You could draft the Jalen Green that could potentially make make um make some noise at their point guard spot. Or if he's still available at the time, you could draft Evan Moby. He's a big that can he's versatile. He can shoot. He can handle. He's very much so a modern day big. And number two, I mean number three, I gotta go to Golden State Warriors simply because they they're going to be everything shown sign. They're going to be a healthy team going into the season. They're going to get Clay Thompson back. They're going to have Draymond back, and then you get two picks in the top fifteen of the draft. Like you can potentially trade one of those picks and get a proven veteran to help on um, bolster the roster, or you can draft two guys. And you could potentially get some nice pieces in there with those some draft spots. Yep. Actually, my list pretty much went three Raptors for the same exact reasons you said. Two Warriors because either you trade and to get a proven veteran or you can draft another guy, get deaf, you're getting healthy. And then number one, Pistons, just so you can get a somebody who can help alter the future. So, no, I was actually in total agreement with you again with regards to draft lottery winners. Now for my losers – I'm going to start off with number three, and I'm going to say the Kings. While it wasn't necessarily a shock that they didn't get a much higher pick, the Kings are a team that have, like many, don't really have any direction. 
And I think that right now they're kind of having issues with uh, Marvin Bag Bagley, which honestly, he just has not really proven to be the guy that they drafted him to be a few years back with that second overall pick. And I mean, right now, the biggest question is going to be, what are they going to do with him? Now, at the ninth overall pick, besides Evan Mobley, I mean, there's really not another big who you can really justify that for. And as far as guards, they just drafted Tyrese Hamill. Halliburton, I mean, who had a really solid year. De'Aaron Fox is clearly the face of the franchise. And then you have a Buddy Heald, who was a solid player as well. So it really just begs the question of what are they going to do? And I think that if they had a higher pick and they could potentially could have got Nevin Mobley, it would be a better selection. Um, number two, I have the San Antonio Spurs, just because even though being within the top 15 is a good sign, the Spurs are a team that could be going through a lot of transition. Case one, who's even said that they're going to keep this pick? Who's to say that DeMar DeRozan is going to come back? If DeMar DeRozan leaves, who is going to become the star of that team? Even though I like DeJounte Murray, who's to say that that's really going to be what happens? And so I just think that this team is going through a lot of turnover. And while this means that they have a lot of options at this pick, I don't think that you're really going to find somebody at – 12 who really is going to become the face of your franchise without the help of a lot of veterans around them and right now that's not something that the Spurs really have and then uh number one my biggest loser this sounds kind of tough but whoever goes first overall Kay Cunningham seemed to be the easy choice apparently reports are saying the the Pistons are the only team he's going to work out for but I mean it seems like they're trying to keep their options open they're also talking to Jalen Green and a Jalen Suggs and honestly Detroit is not an easy place to play for, not necessarily because of the fans or the atmosphere and things. Just this is a team that really has not been a winner in several years. And unfortunately, with usually with the first overall pick, this is somebody you expect to come in and turn the franchise. But Detroit is in a position where it's like, who's to say it's even going to be a playoff team five years from now? 10 years from now, like there's just so much work that needs to happen in that front office and on that team before they can really be taken seriously. So those are my three losers of the lottery. Uh, yeah, for me, I definitely agree with the Kings. It's like you, you're in a tough position because are you really going to be able to draft somebody that's going to change your franchise? This is a franchise that doesn't have any direction like you stated. They have a lot of talent. But they don't have any direction. Um, I think that they're in a really tough position because it's like you keep amassing talent, keep amassing these high draft picks, but it's like, what are you doing with it? Um, number two, I'm going to say who the whichever of the lower picks for the Warriors, simply because. This is our, this is gonna be a veteran laid roster and they're in win now mode. It's been rumors already that they might potentially trade James Wiseman to potentially receive a veteran yes center and build some pieces around some more common pieces around Clay, Steph, and Draymond because James Wiseman just isn't he's he needs to develop. And when you're on a team that's in win now mode as far as winning the championship, you don't really have time to develop. So I think that one of those guys, probably the 14th pick, he's going to be in a tough spot because if he doesn't show signs early, he might be stuck at the end of the bench. And number one, I'm definitely agreeing with you, whoever goes number one to Detroit, because they are a poorly run organization. 
just about it. So, like, it's cold. It's it's different. It's it's like I know a lot of people were talking about when John got drafted to Memphis, but Memphis is actually a great city, and it's a lot of good things in Memphis. But just from a basketball standpoint, what is there really in Detroit? So I definitely those are my three. Yeah, most of. All right, so let's talk the new rules that the NBA has planned to implement for the upcoming season. Here's looking at you, Trey Young and James Harden. Um, offensive foul on a shooter who launches or leans into a defender at an abnormal angle. Offensive foul on a shooter who knocks his leg out at an abnormal angle. Offensive foul on a shooter who abruptly jumps backward or sideways into a defender. And Trey Young, who can take a good joke, took to Twitter, Twitter and was listed among three different players, such as Will Chamberlain, Michael Jordan, and Shaq as players who rule changes were made because of them and to which he just replied, honored for real. It's about time that the NBA makes these changes, but do you think that the refs are actually going to call them as they should? I think initially it's going to be tough, but I think sooner or later they're going to get it right. Because the reality is, it's like, I think the refs, they've seen this action happen so much throughout the course of the season that they know what it looks like, but they had no way of properly calling. And I think that now that the rules are stated, like if you do this a certain way, it's, it is an offensive foul. I do think they're going to call it. I think it's just going to be an adjustment period to like fully get it called on a regular basis. I agree with that. I think that's just with really any rule change, it's going to take time for people to get used to it because, you know, the players are going to whine about it, particularly the ones who are the main ones doing it. But it just comes down to getting used to this is how the end, we're trying to get rid of that. And what we're going to do to get rid of that is put in these rules. And hopefully players, they'll get called for fouls enough that they'll be like, all right, I need to stop. Or I need to try to find another way to play better. But all right, so... We, last week, we talked about um, the head coaching vacancies and ranked them by the least to most desirable. And so far this week, already four jobs have been filled. Um, just most recently, Chauncey Billups was named the head coach of the Portland Trail Blazers. He's gonna, his deal is getting finalized as we speak. The Boston Celtics have hired Nets assistant head coach um, Ime Aduka as their new head coach. Um, Rick Carlisle, former head coach of the Dallas Mavericks, has signed a four-year, $29 million deal with the Indiana Pacers to be their head coach. And then finally, Jason Kidd has left the Lakers coaching staff to become the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks. Of the head coach signings, which one is your favorite so far? Um, Chauncey Phillips to Portland because Chauncey Phillips is a guy that I think can step in there and he automatically have the respect of the players because he's a former player. He's won a championship. And quite honestly, he's one of the more underrated great point guards in the game. And I think that that's something that you could you could take into account of like Dame. Yes, Dame is starting to be notarized and popular now. But at one point in time, Dame was putting up amazing numbers and wasn't getting recognition. I mean, even still to this day, he still cast the shadows and still carry like everybody sees and still carry the greatest point guard right now. And the argument can be made for Daniel Bailey. And it's also, you have a mind, you have a guy who is a former point guard, so you see, you know. 
attention of the coach on the court. So I would have to go with Portland. I'm going to say um, Jason Kidd to the Mavericks. Kind of similar to what you were saying about point guards being good coaches. I mean, for Jason Kidd, he's had solid success as a head coach. His best years, Rags me, were with the Bucks. I felt like he lost his job a bit sooner than he really should have. But I do think that especially with Tom kind of just sitting back and being an assistant and then just learning different ways and working with so many different personalities, I think that it will help him be better suited to deal with Luka as opposed to just someone who isn't necessarily a well-known name. So I do like that signing, and I think that he can really just help Luka better evolve his game as well as build the team up into a way that can be a contender because Jason Kidd has seen success. He knows what it's like to – to have a good team coaching as well as playing for it. So I think that overall that's a nice fit. But if we're talking head coaches, we can't leave out Master P. As we all know, the hip-hop jack-of-all-trades, played basketball, is an actor, is a rapper, does literally everything. And the next thing he said he wants to do is be a head coach for the New Orleans Pelicans. He said, I played in the NBA I done coached a lot of great players that are in the league. I done took my sons for being high school athletes to maybe they'll be the next future big-time pro athletes. If they bring me in as a head coach or as assistant coach, I can change the game. It's probably not going to happen, but would you want to see Master P on the Pelicans coaching staff? be something different I like I think kind of the novelty that was not this when I say novelty this isn't the knock on J. Cole but you hear oh J. Cole is going to be playing in the basketball league in Africa okay Master P is going to be on the coaching staff for the Pelicans okay like I think that few figures in pop culture mesh as much as the NBA and rap music I just think that they're literally intertwined so it would just be cool seeing that intertwining and happening in such an official space like him becoming a head coach. We know he's not going to be the – I mean, not being a head coach, but just being a coach for the team. Him being a head coach, no, absolutely not. But it'd be cool to see him on the coaching staff, and I feel like he would find a way to relate to players way better than a lot – let's be honest – like a lot of older white coaches, they probably can't relate to a player the same way that a Master P could. I know for a fact he will relate to Zion and the rest of that team better than Stan Van Gundy did. So at the very least, you just have somebody who they feel like that they can connect with, which and they can, I guess, have a vibe with those players that a lot of other people would not necessarily understand. So in that retrospect, I think it would be cool. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but it would be cool. Speaking of things that may or may not happen, it looks like more point guard trades are up for grabs. Despite Kimba Walker being traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder early this week, it's expected that Kimba is going to be traded either before or during the season. Also saying in Ohio, the Cavaliers are currently exploring trade options for Colin Sexton. So, Ethan, if you're a team, who would you rather trade for, Colin Sexton or Kimba Walker? Colin Sexton. Because he's he's younger, he doesn't have as big of an injury history as Kimball. And I think that he's the type of guy that you can pair with somebody and you can win games. He has a grind it out, I'm going to get it out 
Yeah, I would say Colin Sexton as well. I like Kimba a lot, but I think that for Kimba, he really just fits a certain kind of team. Whereas I think Colin Sexton can have an impact for a lot of different teams, particularly one that really needs a point guard. Like particularly one, and especially an aggressive point guard at that, someone who isn't afraid to take those shots. Because I feel like a lot of teams, either you have a superstar point guard, a well-known point guard, or your point guard is just kind of on the back burner. Somebody who really isn't as aggressive as you would like. And I think that Colin Sexton is one of those cats who, for a team that really needs somebody to push them a bit or just be more aggressive, I think that Colin Sexton would really be a nice fit. But realistically, do you think either of those cats end up getting traded during this offseason? I can see Yeah, I could see that. I think that for Kimball, I could see him working out with the veteran team like the Lakers. If anything, just because we know that he can score, he definitely fits more so into that mold. Injuries are a bit of a concern, but I think that I would trust him to really try to go after a game more so than a Dennis Schroeder. Like, yeah, he's older, but I think that, especially with Dennis Schroeder trying to get the bag this offseason, I would probably bank more so on Kimball Walker in this situation. But speaking of... uh, banking on people let's talk scotty pippen who we talked about his book i think it was last week week before and he's just full of opinions nowadays starting most of them about kevin durant now the first the first one came with regards to if kevin durant in his game is on the level of lebron james to which uh scotty pippen said lebron james is a complete team player who understands team and winning has KD gotten to that level yet? He went home. He still has learning to do in terms of what it takes to will a team to victory. Um, in more comments, he said, KD, as great as his offense was, it turned out to be his worst enemy because he didn't know how to play team basketball. He kept trying to go punch for punch, to which KD had probably his best response to anybody. He said, didn't the great Scottie Pippen refuse to go in the game for the last second shot because he was in his feelings? His coach drew up the play for a better shooter. Needless to say, they have been going back and forth a bit, but there can only be one side. Ethan, whose side are you on? Kevin Durant's? And you feel like Scottie Pippen is going a bit too hard for no reason? Or do you think Scottie Pippen has a point? Yeah, I like I said, I think it's just more so you want to get your name out there to kind of promote yourself and in his book. Of course, I'm sure he wants more people to be talking about him so they'll get his book. But it's just like 
we talked about this, and I kind of understand what he was saying about KD trying to go blow for blow. But, I mean, in that situation, what other choice do you have? Who else are you giving the ball to? Blake Griffin isn't going blow for blow with the Bucks. Jeff Green's not going blow for blow with the Bucks. You're not about to step on a court and go blow for blow. Because so it's just like, it's just an unnecessary, you're trying to get on this man for an unnecessary reason. Your, your argument is pretty much invalid just because it's like, like you said, who asked for it? Who cares? And it's like, I know a lot of people are trying to bash KD for like, oh, well, LeBron did this, LeBron did that. These are two completely different players. Like, if we bashed a player just for any comparison that they made, like, the world would just be in ruin because nobody would be considered good. KD had a hell of a playoff run. He did the best he could with his teammates being injured. Why is that so hard for people to understand? Why does he have to get wrecked for that? Like, I just think, and Kate, let's be honest, we all know KD has done questionable stuff in the past, but this time it's like, the, I just think that it's unnecessary. But all right, let's play believable or buffoonery. Like I said, we're going to keep talking about Kevin Durant, but this time, fellow teammate of Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan, Steve Kerr stepped into the chat and said this of Kevin Durant. I think Kevin Durant's more gifted than Michael Jordan. I really do. That's saying something. Kevin is a different, entirely different breed. Believable or buffoonery, KD is more gifted than Le uh, Michael Jordan. It's believable. I know he's an asinine because of Jordan's illustrious career. That's the stigma that's surrounded around Michael Jordan. But if you look at Kevin Durant's ability, Kevin Durant's ability, talk about this on numerous times, Kevin Durant is the greatest scorer and greatest scoring talent in the history of the NBA. He is a seven-foot guard. He can handle. He can shoot from. He can shoot from three. He can shoot from mid. He can post up. He can. Fit, he can drive. Like he is the greatest scoring talent in the NBA. I think a lot of people when Steve Kerr made this statement, they were saying like, for whatever reason, people were trying to say like they were comparing. Saying Kevin Durant is better in an overall season than Michael Jordan. No, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player, one of the greatest. I'm not gonna say the greatest because I think honestly it's probably Kobe, but one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But as far as a skill set and a gift standpoint, it's definitely Kevin. Yeah, I I would agree that Kevin Durant is gifted. I mean, just because look at the size he's doing this all, that he moves very fluid for a guy his size. But I just think that. What while we may be talking about who's more gifted, MJ's a harder worker. MJ puts more time into his game to be better. He he made up for his deficiencies by putting in that work to get better. And I think that that's something that, like you said, people just automatically think Keith Kerr, Steve Kerr saying that KD is better. No, he's just saying that KD, let's be honest, KD had didn't have to overcome as much within his game. MJ made himself into being considered gifted because he even mentioned himself like he didn't have the best skill sets. He worked on it, whereas KD kind of just has it. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I find that believable. But let's keep talking about some of the greatest to ever do it. Now, Stephen A. Smith, this season has probably said the wildest stuff with regards to basketball. But this one, this one I took the I felt the most personally. Um, we're talking about Devin Booker. He said, Devin Booker is the next Kobe Bryant. I'm going to go first on this one because, you you know, 
Kobe's my guy. Literally looking at his jersey right now. I call buffoonery because there's more to just being a great shooter to be called the next Kobe Bryant. We know Devin Booker is a great offensive player, but what made Kobe Bryant Kobe Bryant was his work ethic, was his ability to step up on defense and his ability to take over a game at a moment's notice. Devin Booker, like I said, is a great offensive mind, but let's be honest, nobody touches Kobe's work ethic. Nobody, Devin Booker is not that great of a defensive player. He is not taking on the best defensive player for every team. He is not as aggressive as Kobe, the offensively or defensively. And let's be honest, he has been a great scorer since he's been in the league, but how many times before this year has he truly taken over a game? Imagine Kobe dropped seven, 70 points and they lost. Kobe would lose his freaking mind. So while Devin Booker is a great offensive player, you can't just say he's Kobe just because he's inspired by him and Kobe signed some shoes saying be legendary. It takes way more to be the next Kobe Bryant. He can be a great scorer like Kobe, but it's way more than just putting in shots to be Kobe Bryant. I'm going to keep it short and sweet. That I need, Chief. Not at all. But, you know, go off. You can clickbait. You're trying to get people to look at your stuff. That's cute. But no, don't. Mm, Devin Booker is nowhere near what Kobe is going to be. No disrespect to him, but no. But let's talk about a player who also is a huge Kobe Bryant fan, but is getting talked about for different reasons. Kyrie Irving, who apparently Nets ownership is reportedly growing frustrated with him ever since his midseason pause when he unexpectedly left the team for a period of time and took off games and practices. Brooklyn will be reportedly willing to listen to trade offers for Kyrie for the right price due to this frustration. Believable or buffoonery, Kyrie Irving will be a Brooklyn net at the start of next season. Believable. Because, for one, he's best friends with their best player. Him and, it's, it's a known thing that him and Kevin Durant are best friends. And you just saw what Kevin Durant without those guys and you want to make sure you can keep that guy happy because in Brooklyn's case the reality is Kevin Durant came to Brooklyn to play with Kyrie he didn't come to Brooklyn because he wanted to play for the Knicks that was a part of it but the big part of it like it's been said that they came they went to Brooklyn because they wanted to play together yeah so in order to to keep your best player happy Kyrie's gonna have to stay in Brooklyn I I call buffoonery. I mean, I call it befe- believable as well that he stays just because unless you're going to get an exorbitant amount of depth in return, it doesn't really make sense to trade him. If anything, they would have been better off just keeping it Kyrie and KD and not getting James Harden because at least they would have still had that depth. And I think that, sure, they may be frustrated with him, but I think it more so just – it's more so them just being mad at themselves because they could have won the series against the Bucks had they had depth, had they had people coming off of the bench like a Karis LeVert, like a Jared Allen, those cats who are, have been able to produce. But instead, all the weight was on Kevin Durant and the rest of the starters who honestly had James Harden and um, Kyrie been healthy, they wouldn't have been starting. So I think it's believable that Kyrie stays, if not for any other reason, but Unless you're not going to get that much death in return. And two, what better point guard are you really going to find? 
Because unless their name isn't um, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, who are you really getting that's better than realistically? Who else are you getting on that team? So, no, I would keep Kyrie. If you have an issue with his antics, unfortunately, you know who Kyrie is. Kyrie has been Kyrie since he's gotten into the NBA. So, I don't know why it's such a shock when he does stuff anymore. All right. Let's talk the Harlem Globetrotters. Before we do this, have you ever been to a Harlem Globetrotters game? No, I have not. It's really cool. It is goofy. It is, but it's a lot of fun. And they say, you know what? Let's bring our fun to the National Basketball Association. The organization penned a letter to the NBA saying, it's time the NBA recognized our contribution to the game. The Harlem Globetrotters stand ready to negotiate for a franchise. Believable or buffoonery, the Harlem Globetrotters will become an NBA franchise. Yeah, I call it buffoonery too, but it would be fun. I mean, I don't think it would have happened, but at least they could make the argument the NBA is already talking about expanding and adding another franchise, so you already got a team right there. So, you know, that would be my argument for it. All right, so let's talk Chris Bosh and the battle of big threes. Between his Heat big three, of course, with Dwayne Wade and LeBron James versus the Nets big three, Kyrie, KD, and James Harden. Uh, Chris Bosh said this if they were to go each other, against each other in their prime. I'm going to give the nod to them. I could score pretty good and I'll go out there and compete. But you know, they can do things I've never seen. In a three on three game, it's just about what could happen. These guys could just make all jumpers. I mean, all three of them have that ability to be like, that's not fair. Believable or buffoonery, the Nets big three now will beat the Heat big three in their prime in a game. I just think it'd be one of those it, it's tough to pick because on the surface it's like okay I can see it but I mean you gotta think prom LeBron prom D Wade who at the time was one of the best players in the league sure it's it's like yeah KD over Chris Bosh but I mean you could ride LeBron and D Wade for a while and James Harden is a great offensive player, but defensively, he's not that dude. And there's no way he's going to stop LeBron. There's no way Kyrie could stop LeBron. Or, honestly, Dwayne Wade would give them the business, too. So, I would go prime heat. But, like you said, I think it would be, I think it'd be close. 
Alright, so let's talk my main man, Russell Westbrook, and the potential of him being traded to my favorite team. So Westbrook is reportedly frustrated with the Wizards' decision to fire Scott Brooks, and analysts believe this will lead to Westbrook wanting out this upcoming offseason. The Lakers have strong interest in pursuing Russell Westbrook this season, especially with the state of their current point guard situation. And then there were also reports that Anthony Davis and LeBron randomly followed his wife on Twitter. Believable or buffoonery? Will the Lakers really get Russell Westbrook? I can see it happen. I mean, the Wizards, they, they're another team that doesn't have any direction. We both know that Russell Westbrook has a great relationship with Scott Brooks. That was his coach when he was in LKC for many years. And once he's upset, he... He probably burn that bridge, and we know Westbrook's the type of guy where it's like, look, if I don't want to play for you, I'm probably not going to do it. Um, I think that for the Wizards, they could potentially just go ahead and say, like, hey, we had our run, made it to the playoffs, but outside of that, we've been a historically bad franchise, and maybe they can just chalk it up and get rid of him and Brad. But I can see the Lakers pulling some type of mysterious rabbit out of the head. Like, maybe it's something that, because we know that they aren't happy with Kyle Kuzma, maybe they could pair Kyle Kuzma up with some players and some picks and get Westbrook. Yeah, because let's be honest, the Lakers don't care about draft picks, so I could see them doing that over the next few years. I mean, I find it believable. While I would love to go and get me a Russell Westbrook Lakers jersey, that just that would just be awesome. And I don't think he would fit. And so that's the biggest reason I'd be like, I don't think it would happen. In terms of fixing the point guard, yes, yeah, an upgrade, but it's still like, I love Russell Westbrook, but he is not efficient. He gives effort. He goes all out. But in terms of efficiency, he is not that cat. And one of the biggest issues that the Lakers had, especially when AD and LeBron were hurt, were not really getting much from their scoring. Like, they were not an efficient scoring team. And though, while I love Russell Westbrook, I don't think that his presence really helps that out. Do you get better defensively? Sure. Are you able to get more rebounds and more assists? Yeah, sure. But I just don't think that he's a good fit. So that would be my biggest hang-up with that. And speaking of hang-ups, it's finally time to talk Ben Simmons. Because since over this past week and his terrible performance in Game 7, where he just didn't didn't try in the fourth quarter. He has been the most talked about NBA player so far. Will he or will he not be traded? Following the game, he was asked, Doc Rivers, head coach of the 76 was asked, can Ben Simmons still be a starting point guard on a championship team? To which Doc Rivers said, I don't know the answer to that right now. After a couple days, he said, we have to, we have work to do. It's not going to be an easy job, but it's definitely a job that can be done. There's other reports that the 76ers want to hold on to Ben Simmons and others saying that there are multiple teams interested in trading for the young guard. Believable or buffoonery? Ben, no, believable or buffoonery, the 76ers will keep Ben Simmons and hope to fix him. Uh, four. Think four. Yeah, four. But it's been a no, numerous amount of years where he in the biggest 
his stage is he hasn't come up. Well, a lot of people forget he scored zero points in the playoff game against the Boston Celtics. Yep. I think that no matter what you you can say, you're going to hire a sports um, psychologist, you're going to hire shooting coaches, and this and that. The reality of it is, is when you're a sports franchise, you have to have, especially one with the fans of Philadelphia, you have to put it together a good product. And with the way that the team is with Ben Simmons on the court, like me personally, I thought that they were going to beat the Hawks and be contended for the NBA championship. We both did. And they lost to the Hawks. And you can't, this is the thing, you can't blame Joel Embiid because he showed up. He only had one bad half where he said that he didn't have any bills because he was playing with a partially torn Mediciens. But every other game, he showed up. He was dominant. He scored 20. Honestly, he scored like 30 plus in every game except for like one where I think he scored 27 in the um, bad half game where he didn't really have lift in the second half. But Ben Simmons, like the lasting image of Ben Simmons in Philly is he had a wide open dunk and he passed it to Matisse Thibel because he didn't want to get fouled. You can't bring that man back to your fans. You have to get rid of him. You have to try to make a move to get a guard that is, like you said, aggressive, can make outside shots, and is willing to step up in the big moments. And I think that what really it comes down to is, does Ben Simmons want to get better? Because after the game, I showed you the, I sent you the post about when he was asked about his struggles in Game Seven. He's like, well, how many points did Trey Young have? How many assists did I have? That's not the point. That is literally not the point. You are supposed to be one of the league's shining stars. This really was supposed to be your team, not Joel Embiid. You were supposed to be the star, and yet in the most crucial moment, you nut up, you disappeared, you did not go for it, and. This isn't the first time we've had to see this. Like you said, against the Boston Celtics, had zero points in a playoff game. If you're one of my best players who I just signed a huge contract extension to and you're not scoring, what are you here for? If you're coming off of the bench, that's one thing, but you are literally a starter. You were the trust, the process, you were a big part of that. And so the fact that the team is like, oh, we can get a sports psychologist, so we'll do this or that, what is he doing to get better? That's really what it comes down to because everybody on earth can say, oh, we are going to do this. Ben Simmons needs to do this, this, this. If he's not putting in that work, why are you going crazy? Just trade him. The NBA, especially now, patience is at like an all-time low. Like either you're a team that is not contending like the Magic or the Minnesota Timberwolves who really just don't really have any direction, no real faith. Or you're a team that's trying to compete for a championship. And it's clear these teams that are trying to compete for a championship will move on from you with the swiftness. It seems like the 76ers are the only team that are trying to hold on to this dead horse. Because let's be honest, we talked about it last year about if he should have been traded or not. And they didn't do it then. And I think it's showing that, okay, he's not the guy. Why continue to put yourself through it? And I think that if they decide to keep him again, something that – I think needs to be acknowledged. I think Joel Embiid is going to get sick of it. I think he's going to get pissed off because, like you said, he gave everything he could in this Hawks series and just for it not to be returned. 
just for the next best player in that series on that team look like Steph, Seth Curry. Why is it not Ben Simmons? Why is Ben Simmons not becoming the player that he was drafted first overall to be? Because I remember when people were like, oh, he's going to be the next LeBron. He did the slam basket magazine cover, literally posing like LeBron. And what have we gotten from that? Nothing. So, no, i trade him. It wouldn't be a conversation. I would be on the phone with people now trying to get him off my team. But, all right, so I know you said earlier that you feel like the Hawks are done I think so too. They play tonight. I got Bucks winning tonight. I think Hawks win one more game, but I think I think Bucks get it in six. about the Suns, do you see them getting the gentleman sweep as well, or do you think that the Clippers can hold out for a little bit longer? I think the Clippers might get one more game simply because they they can match up where they can go to a strategy they can present problems for the Suns. This whole playoff season, everybody's talking like they're talking about all these adjustments that Tyler makes. The adjustment has been he goes small. He puts five, he basically puts a bunch of guards in like the ball board and center. He spreads everybody out and he plays five out basketball. And like it's uh, it's a podcast I listen to. It basically said that whenever I the super plays more than eighteen minutes a game, I lose. So I understand that it's difficult because they have DeAndre eight. He's been such a dominant force scoring in the paint and on the boards. But your best chance is you have to go small. You have to counteract their big with small, and you might be able to play the under eight off the court. I would agree with that. Um, I think that I think that it's just going to take another game if they have to hold them defensively to less than ninety points, which in today's NBA, I mean, that's almost impossible to do. But if it's gonna, I think for them to be able to beat the Suns at least one more time, it's going to have to be a defensive grind because you can't just expect. Um, Devin Booker and CP3 to have bad shooting games all the time. Especially both of them not doing it, it's just not going to happen. And then DeAndre Aiden, you have to be able to counteract him. Like you said, Zubak, I mean, he's – no one will ever argue that he's a top center in the league, but he's really the best that they have. But even your best just – is 
proving to be a liability, and you can't have that, especially in a conference finals. So, yeah, I think that – I'll say this. I have more hope in the Clippers getting another game against the Suns more than I do the Hawks beating the Bucks again. But I do think that it's going to be Suns and Bucks in the uh, finals. But, all right, let's talk WWE. All right, now let's give the recap for Hell in a Cell June 2021 edition. Wow, it's still weird that Hell in a Cell was in June. But it was not a terrible card. Here's what took place. Natalya beat uh, Mandy Rose on the pre-show. Bianca gets real familiar with weapons for the first time since War Games to defeat Bayley, which is a correction on my part because when I said the predictions, I said I don't think she had been in an um, – I'm sorry, my brain is off – and like an extreme match besides like the Royal Rumble and I think the ladder match. But don't quote me. I, I, either way, I think I messed up and I forgot War Games regardless. But she won that. Um, next up, Seth Rollins gets his win against Cesaro, but not before he gets a taste of his own glove. Alexa Bliss is busy possessing souls and getting Ws. I went against my better judgment by picking against Sami Zayn and, per usual, played myself. Uh, Charlotte wins by DQ. And I'm not going to lie, I'm kind of salty about it because you guys know me. You know my pay-per-view philosophy. I never pick against Charlotte. The one time, I'm like, no, Rhea's going to win. Charlotte won. Uh, next up, he may have shed some blood and lost some skin in the process, but by golly, Bobby Lashley retains his title. So congratulations to him. And so I went 4-2 and two on the night. Of course, those losses being uh, Sami Zayn, me going against my better judgment, and Charlotte, me going against my normal pay-per-view rule. So, case in point, follow your first mind. Uh, so, my favorite match was the Raw Women's Championship. I mean, I kind of talked about it when I was making my predictions, just that I felt like this probably was going to be the best match on the card. And in my opinion, even with the ending, I think it was. I think that it kind of continues the feud and just continues the... Rhea is not going to keep dealing with Charlotte's BS. She's not going to keep dealing with Charlotte's crap. And she's going to do whatever she can to defeat her, even if she has to go through questionable means. And in terms of Charlotte, I mean, just her drawing back and forth with Rhea the whole time was really entertaining. And I'm excited to see kind of this evil queen go up against the nightmare and just how that clashes and how that goes towards the future. Uh, next up, my favorite moment. I would have to go with the KLD on the ladder. Like, this Hell in a Cell match was very interesting because we have, in the WWE, we have seen, in, I mean, not injuries, uh, weapons used in many different forms, but this was the most I'd ever seen hair being used as a weapon ever. And I think it's a creative thing, especially because, like, most of the time, like, because you could tell some of the pins were coming out. I was like, Lord, please don't let Bianca's braid come out. And it didn't. Because you know what? It was held together by a million pins and black girl magic. So it all worked out. But yeah, that was my favorite uh, part, the KLD, just because that looked like it hurt like hell. And Bailey's a trooper for taking it because me, I, I don't know if this is for me, boss. All right, next up, increase stock, decrease stock. After watching SmackDown, I'm kind of torn about my increase stock. But still, I'm going to keep it as Sami Zayn. I think that this was his first pay-per-view win in a long time. It kind of boost him up again to kind of show, you know, the conspiracy and universe being against him thing. I think that it kind of brings new life to that, which I think that it needed just because it's hard to really 
no matter how great somebody is, it's hard to really take them seriously if they continue to lose. And that was kind of the situation with Sami Zayn. So I'm happy he was able to get a win. I think that it's kind of boosts his stock. Where does it go from here? I'm not sure. But for right now, I like the move. And then my decreased stock is Shayna Baszler just because it's like, it's not a surprise that she lost, but it's just like, with all the cuts and releases that WWE has had lately, I would hate for Shayna's name to end up being in that conversation just because they misused her, because they didn't really give her opportunities to shine. And I feel like right now this is not an opportunity to shine. I'm not going to say it's burying her, but it's kind of like she's getting thrown to the wolves that is Alexa Bliss and her creepy-looking doll. Uh, next up, um, my one booking decision. Honestly, I would have had Rhea beat the shit out of Charlotte with a weapon as opposed to, like, just hitting her one time with the, uh, with the table, the announcement table, I mean. Like, it was cool how it happened, but I think that if she would have really just wailed into Charlotte and just gave her the business and just let out all the frustration she's had for over a year since losing the NXT Women's Championship to her at that time, I think that it would have been... I, the ending was fine. Like I said, I had no problem with it, but I think it would have been even more like, I think it would have added more fuel to the fire and more so like, oh, okay, this is a robbery we should care about because these two women hate each other. And right now it's like, I don't think Rhea hates Charlotte. She's just sick of her. Whereas Charlotte is just trying to show that she is the queen, which she is bowed out. Uh, my WTF moment, I kind of mentioned it earlier in the brief recap, but yes, is all putting Seth's glove in his mouth. Like that was weird. It was, it was interesting, but I mean... You can only imagine how sweaty that thing was. So I'm sure that didn't necessarily taste the best. But I mean, hey, Seth got the win in the end. And his promo with Bianca on SmackDown was hilarious. I, that was actually my favorite part of the show. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. And sometimes you eat a glove. And my show grade overall was a B-. minus. I think it was a pretty solid show. I mean, Hell in the Cells, pretty much... The shows don't have to be terrible. Sometimes they can just be an easy show to make. They just make it hard, a la 2019. And so, with that being said, I do think that this was just a nice overall show. I mean, it had pretty strong matches um, throughout. I mean, the SmackDown Women's Championship match was cool. Um, Sammy and Kevin Owens just are, are allergic to having bad matches with each other. Charlotte and Rhea are great. Um, I mean, you can say the same for Bobby and Drew. I'm I'm sick of seeing them wrestle, but that was a really good match. And I know people were like, oh, but it ended on a roll-up. But I mean, like, Bobby fought like hell to get that roll-up. And both of them look like they had been in a war. They look like they went to hell. So, I mean, I was okay with it. I mean, overall, it was just a pretty solid card. Like, probably the only knock would be Alexa versus Shayna. But, I mean... Once again, that's just because I feel like Shayna could be used better. But, yeah, that's our show, and that was my recap for Hell in a Cell. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out thexreport.net. I repeat, thexreport.net for exclusive sports content. written by yours truly and fellow expert writers. Previous episodes by the lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Once again, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.